So, hey guys, I'm feeling a little bit nervous today, so if I get a little bit like nervous, just don't worry about that. So, basically today I'm going to be talking about Judges 7. So, um, I don't know, I just really felt like that was what I needed to talk about. I've seen like, I like watching people on YouTube, and so I just was, you know, looking up one day, um, what, you know, to just to get some ideas, and I really found that um, this like whole like part of the Bible was just really speaking to me. So this is when Gideon defeats the Midianites. So I'll just read out a little bit and I've just got parts in there that I've just kind of added just to highlight for to easy uh, to understand, I guess. So um, so Gideon and his army got up early and went to went as far as the spring of Herod. So a thing we need to know about this is that Herod means trembling and it means like fear. So think of this, his army went to a place and set up camp called fear. They went to a place that meant trembling. So that's just also just crazy in that itself. So um, would you ever set up place would you ever set up camp in a place called fear? I know I wouldn't. So um, sometimes we can find ourselves in that place of fear. Um, so the armies of the Midianites like camped north of the valley near, or near the hill of Morah. Another thing we need to know about the, the word Morah is that it means teacher. So they have their enemies are set up camp in a place further away that's in a place of teaching and in a place of like knowing if you get what I'm trying to say. So um, yeah, so in so for them they were in a place of fear and in the distance was a place of teaching. So um, when we Um, so basically, okay, I'm just going to go on to number two. So the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. So there's too many people hanging around with that group where they were set up in their army. So he said, um, there's too many people just chilling out with you. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid to leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. So we need to be willing to fight. When you make up your mind to go after what God has got for you, you can't be afraid of losing people along the way. And just as like a little personal thing for me, when I wasn't a Christian, I had this really cool friend. I just, I loved her so much. And I knew that the relationship was kind of negative. And I said to myself, like, I'm going to be in this place of fear for the rest of my life. I love this person so much, but they just pressured me into doing things that I wasn't comfortable doing. And I knew that I had to get out of that. And so I lost friends along the way. As soon as I started coming to youth, I lost so many friends, but I have all of these friends now that stand for the same thing that I do, that, that I have a place that is just so real and truthful. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, so we can't have things that hold us back um, from the things we know that we need to do because God's plan is greater than what we know and his plan is more powerful for us. So if we have people that are holding us back, how are we going to propel forward and do what we're supposed to do? So in this case, 22,000 people left because they were afraid um, and they went home. They were gone, leaving only 10,000 and that may not sound very much compared to the 30,000 people that were there before. Um, so, but the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many people. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. So Gideon took his warriors down to the water and he divided the men up into two groups. One of the groups had all the people who knelt down and cupped the water into their hands. And the other group had people who knelt down and drank just from their mouths from the stream. And so 
from the army of 33,000 people was now down to 300 men who were willing to not be afraid to go out and fight for what they knew was right. Um, And so when we have God on our side, we have the majority. We have so much more power when we've got just God on our side. So the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory. So he sent all the others home. So the Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, get up and go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant. Listen to what the Midianites have to say, and you'll be greatly encouraged. So the Midianites were like the enemies. They were the people that (laughs) wanted to win. You know, they had like heaps and heaps of people in their army. And they were just greatly encouraged. So Gideon was greatly encouraged because he knew that the enemy had been talking about them, that the other army was afraid of his army of 300 men. Like, that's just crazy. And it says, then you'll be eager to attack. Once you know what they've been talking about, you guys, you're going to be eager to attack them. So the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley of like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as... Gideon crept up as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had a dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down the Midianite camp. It hit a tent and turned over and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon and the son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over the the Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream, and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped the Lord. He didn't just say, oh God, thank you. He full on like went down on his hands and knees and worshipped the Lord because he knew he had victory, because he had God on his side. He had victory over hundreds and hundreds of people because he had God. Um, And so God can send us into a low place, and that's when we can really use God's strength because they had 300 men 300 people that were willing to fight for what they knew was right. 300 of them. And they, a little secret, they actually won. They won at the end, but I'll go on to that in a minute. And so when we're in a place of difficulty, we have two responses. The first is to worry. We can be so worried about what the future has for us. What's going to happen? Am I going to win? Am I going to lose? Am I going to lose my friends? Am I going to lose my family? The second response is we can worship, we can worship the Lord and we can thank him for putting us in a place where we have that decision to worry or to worship him. And so depending on which response we choose is dependent upon who we feel has the most power. So worry is what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to be like, oh, Claire, she's super worried about school tomorrow because she has a test. Like, I'm going to make her super worried and make her feel like she hasn't revised for this. But then God can come on the other side and be like, Claire, don't worry. Like, you've done all that you've got to do. Just worship me. Just know that, like, I'm the one who is going to make you get an A or get a B or you know what I mean? Like, it's him. He's in control. So God has already given us victory um, over things in our future, depending on what we're doing now, you know. If we're going to worship God now, we already have the victory over the devil for the future. And so um, then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianites. He divided the men into the 300 men into three groups and gave them a ram's horn and a jar of clay with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me and watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, um, do just as I do. Like, do just as I do. 
See, as a youth, I always look up to people in youth like, oh, yeah, this person's so cool. I hope I can, like, serve as well as they do. I hope I can do as well as they do, you know. And that's what we do as youth. We have people that are our role models. And, like, it could be anyone, like Mariah, Sean, Josh, like, Carmel. Like, everyone here has a different, like, thing that we aspire to. Like, oh, like, dang it, I wish I could do this. You know what I mean? And so we have to have the attitude where we're those people that are showing God's light behind the scenes and in the things that we're serving so people can look at us and be like, oh, I want to do just as they do. I want to do something like better than they're doing because I have, like, I know I can do it. You know what I mean? And so um, it's so important to have the atmosphere of worship and service to God as leaders. So leaders lead the youth. Leaders are people who everyone looks up to even out in our community not just in um, like church or youth we see people out in school that people are like following around like oh my goodness I want to be like you if you get what I mean it's not just in the youth ministry and so um leaders go first they don't wait for someone else to do something they don't wait to give in offering they don't wait to worship the Lord they're the first people to get down on their knees and worship you know what I mean they go first so to see um to see people that have that passion for God and to worship him is what we as youth look up to, you know. So for him to be like, do just as I do, watch me because I'm the example, like listen to me, that's what we have to do as well. Um, so Gideon says, keep your eyes on me, watch what I do. So Gideon had split up his 300 men into groups and surrounded the army camp. And they were, there were so many enemies that you couldn't even count the camels. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and his 300 men um, reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups of them blew their, the ram's horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hand and the, the horns in their right hand. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood in his position around the camp and watched all the Midianites rushed in panic, shouting as they run to escape. Oopsies. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. We hear that worship confuses the enemy. This is the perfect example um, of when it does, the enemies began, began fighting each other and they wiped themselves out. They wiped themselves out. Like, how crazy is that? So this just creates an image of us where we can be in a place of brokenness and fear and worry, but we can still find God and have victory over our situations. We see that God uses broken things that we can, um, that and we can use praise and worship as an expression of weakness. We can say, God, I don't have the weapons. I don't have the tools I, that I need. I'm outnumbered. I'm not enough. But if we allow ourselves to be broken in God's presence, he can equip us with the things we need. Um, and he can use his Holy Spirit to guide us, to set us on fire for him. Within the clay jars were torches. And it wasn't until the jars were broken that the flame was revealed. Um, they raise the torches in their left hands and that represents the power of God. When we, when we raise our weakness in the presence of God, like how crazy is that? We're, we're able to be weak in God. We're able to, because he uses us. He uses us for so much more. Um, and just one little last part. See, God takes us from a place of fear and trembling and he still gives us victory. He pulls us out of fear and tells us to pursue him. And when we pursue him, we have victory over everything. Nice.
Just getting some notes. Just finishing that off. That was my woman, Claire. Yeah, she's awesome. Now we got my man, Pete. Yeah, give him a round of applause. All right. So for the record, uh, my message is called The Valley of Heaven. In Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. So think of the treasure as something of extreme value. This man sold everything he had to obtain it. Its value was so great that all the man's possessions were only enough to buy the land which the treasure was found. So this is one of the parables of Jesus. It's a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. That's the Wikipedia uh, explanation of it. So this parable... uh, Hang on. If you... This parable is one way Jesus described the valley of heaven, heaven being the treasure, if you haven't figured that out already. The man was so joyous that he, and, that he went and sold literally everything he had so he could purchase and obtain the treasure. So here's the thing. Heaven doesn't have a price tag on it, even though it's of great value. That's because it's already been paid for. And it was paid for with Jesus' blood, the very same man who first taught the parable. So here's another really similar parable that Jesus taught uh, just one verse later. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Jesus' point here is that the kingdom of God, a.k.a. heaven, is like a great treasure, and when found, will fill you with joy. As a side note, uh, a difference between the first parable and the one about the treasure, uh, the first parable, the one about the treasure, and the second parable, which was the one about the pearl, um, the first parable, the man stumbled upon his great treasure, uh, while the merchant in the second parable was seeking for it. So, anyway... We hear stories of people finding safes filled with money hidden in walls or canisters of 18th century gold coins hidden in ordinary people's backyards. Well, I know I wouldn't mind finding some of those treasures myself, but in reality, the greatest treasure we can find today is the gift of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. So now that you have this treasure, what do we do with it? Here's another parable that Jesus taught that can relate to this. Um, It is Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. 
But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole, and put it in his master's money in the ground. So after a long time, the master and those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. He said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. I see I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever will has... For whoever... What the... <laughs> for whoever... Uh, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and through that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth all right so once we have received this gift that's greater than the greatest pearl more valuable more valuable than anything in existence today, what do we do with it? We don't want to be like the last servant who hid his treasure away and dug it in the ground. Uh, we want to be uh, like one of the first ones who went out and multiplied it. And we do this by sharing it with others, this gift that God has given us. So thank you, Jesus, for the greatest gift a man could ever receive.